Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 is a long chapter. It has 60, I think 66 verses in it. We've been going through it. We're seeing the life of Solomon. As you remember, we started with the first and second Samuel. We saw Samuel and then the first king, Saul, and then David is the second king, and now the third king of Israel, which is Solomon. And, and he's done the, the greatest thing he could ever thought about doing, and that is to build the temple. Uh, they had a tabernacle, which was a temporary place that God would dwell among his people. And now God has allowed Solomon to build a temple, an incredible building where God would meet with his people. When you think about it, we looked at it, the temple was the place that God would meet with Israel. He would come make his presence known. We already know that God is created. He's, part, he, he's not part of his creation. He created everything, heavens and earth, and yet he would make his presence known there. It was a place of sacrifice. They had sacrifices daily. It was also a place of sacrifice yearly. There were certain sacrifices they offered year by year by year. If you remember, it's what it looked like out front here. It's not shown on this drawing, but there was the place of the sacrifice, and then they would come up steps, the priest would. They could come in the front room, and on one side, well, really, uh, there were lampstands down both sides, and there were tables of showbread down both sides. Picture of Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world and the bread of life. The back at the back was an altar. It's not showing there. It was called an altar of incense, which represented prayers. And then there was this veil that separated the front room from the back room, which really showed the way until Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, showing the way is now open to go with to God. In the back room is, was the Ark of the Covenant. It was uh, basically a box that was, was wooden covered over gold with a golden lid. It was the place where God would meet, meet with his people, and they poured out the blood to cover the sins for a year. So that was, that was really it. Then we had, just had this Lord of this replica of it, the best, just best we could tell. This is a place where they would offer the sacrifices, the priest would wash, and then they would go in that front room in the, the diagram that we showed a while ago. So that's, that's what it was. It's a, really a picture of Christ. Well, as we, as we remember, Remember that uh, as we're looking at this in, in 1 Kings 8, 20 and 21, Solomon says, God, you are so faithful. He said this, the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, for I have risen in the place of my father David and sit on the throne and I've built the house. He said, God made a promise that Solomon would be the king and that he would get to build the house. And he did that. So Solomon has brought all these people together and the priest and everything to dedicate the temple. And they've got the building built. And then they went to get the Ark of the Covenant, which was that box that had had poles on it and the priests are carrying it and all the people are there and they're going to bring that Ark of the Covenant. They bring it and put it in the temple. When they bring it and put it in the temple, God comes, of course, and there's the, the big the Shekinah glory and all of those things. And then Solomon uh, makes a petition. Solomon talks to God. And we saw last week that he started with praise and worship and then he petitions God for the people. And we're going to see it. He makes seven prayer requests. We'll go through it, and we'll go through it very quickly. It's, a lot, it's, it's really dealing with the nation of Israel. We'll see how that we can make application. In fact, let me just say this. He's going to pray seven different things dealing with the nation of Israel, and yet well, the best we can do is say, okay, well, how can we, as the church, the body of Christ today, how, what, what can we make application from that? And so we'll see it as we go through. There's a lot there, and we'll, we'll go really quickly through it. Well, I guess one of the great truths we can all think about is that we can talk to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. We can come to him. God is a God who answers prayer. He hears our petitions, our intercessions, confession. He hears when we, we worship him. Uh, just anything. We can come to him in any time, any way, in any, anything. Think about it. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. Psalm 145, a great verse says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. 
to all who call upon him in truth. That means you can go to him anytime, any way. Here's a famous passage we all know. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be open. What we're seeing is that God says, you can come to me anytime, anyplace, anywhere, about anything. And that means every one of us in this room, you can pray to God anytime you want to. Well, what we're seeing today is that Solomon is going to go to God with seven petitions, seven requests for the nation of Israel, the people of God. And then we can look at this and we can say, okay, how can we make an application of some of this? And so we'll see it as we go through it. Well, just remember where we are. Solomon has built the temple. He's brought in all the articles. All of the people are there. They all gathered around as they brought the Ark of the Covenant in. And what was so amazing, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, if you remember, they came in, it was covered, and they came through and they came through and all the way to the back room. And then when the priest came out of that, of the, of the building, suddenly this cloud came. We call it the Shekinah glory. And in the Old Testament, when, well, back in that time, it was a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And this big cloud came in. It was the glory of God came upon the building and the people, everybody had to get back because it was God's power. Look at verse uh, 10 of chapter 8, where we are. Verse 10 says, it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud Fill the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And so we, we saw that and, and saw that last time. And, and so that's what's happened when he's brought it up. And let me give you an idea. This is, this is the chapter that we've been studying, and it's taken a while because there's so much there. But that's when he brought the ark up. That's last week. Here is Solomon's prayer. He praised God. And then here, we saw some of that last week. Here is the seven request we're going to look at this morning, and we'll go really quickly through it. I just want you to see it, and we're going to make application. And then next week, we'll get this last part and then continue on. As I've already told you that probably in about three or four weeks from now, uh, maybe right after spring break, because I don't want to start the book of Revelation during spring break. So we'll just see. But most likely right after spring break, we'll start the book of Revelation because we'll be through at First Kings. We're going to only go through chapter 11, which is the life of Solomon. So should be some good things coming up. So Solomon uh, talks about God. And here's what's so amazing. In verse 27, here's what he says. But God will indeed dwell on earth? No. Behold, the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you, God, no matter how much, even this house that I've built. So Solomon admits that this house that he built and even the cloud coming and everything, this is not where God lives. God is beyond just the creation. He, nothing, the heavens and earth can, can't contain God. And so he's saying this house is where I built, where God will make himself known. And we saw last week as we ended, he did this. Verse 28, he said, O Lord, hear my prayer. In verse 29, he said, O Lord, hear and care about us as we pray to this place. And then in verse 30, he said, O listen, Lord, hear and forgive. And that's where we ended last time. And so now he's going to give, beginning at verse 31, and we'll go quickly, beginning at verse 31, he's going to give seven prayer requests. It, God is a God who hears and forgives. Now, here's something I want to tell you about. Okay, these seven prayer requests all go back to Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. So what are we talking about? Uh, let me remind you of something that happened. Do you remember the nation of Israel in Egypt? God brought all the plagues. God brought them out, parted the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea. Everything's going great. Then they wander around and they get to Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. 
on Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. They broke it immediately, and so he got 10 more commandments, and then the rest of the law. They stayed at Mount Sinai for one year. At the end of a year, they left Mount Sinai and traveled to Kadesh Barnea. It's an 11-day trip. They made it in 11 days. They're at the southern part of Israel, and their, their goal was to take the lands. 11 days was the trip. And as you remember, they sent in spies, and they came back, and the spies said, oh, we can't make it. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. Everybody else said no. And so they all said, we're not going to go. And they all said, uh, our children won't make it. They'll all get killed. And so God said, okay, so you're worried about your children. What's going to happen is I'm going to let you wander around until all of you are dead, and then I will take your children, and they will enter into the land. And so they wandered around for another 38 and a half years, which made 40 years. They wandered for 40 years till that whole generation died, and then they got ready to go into the land. And that book that is written right before they go into the land is Deuteronomy, which means second law. He's given them instructions again. So Moses gives them instructions, and in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, he tells them this, and this is the key. He says this, when you go into the land and you as a people obey me, I will always bless you. When you go into the land and you don't obey me, I will curse you. I will discipline you. He even said that if you don't do what's right, I'll remove you from the land. And that's exactly what he did. So what we're going to see that when Solomon prays, he prays based on the idea of blessing and cursing. And so he's going to say in the prayer, Oh Lord, when we do wrong and we pray to you, forgive us and bring us back. That's what he's going to pray. And we're going to see it as we go through those aspects. So there's a lot of different things in there. Bottom line, when the nation of Israel obeyed God, he blessed them. When the nation of Israel disobeyed God, he disciplined them. Now there's a truth. When you as a Christian live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that coming out in your life, you are blessed. When you have sin in your life and you're out of fellowship with God, there is discipline in your life. That principle is true in our lives. It was principle was true for the nation of Israel. It's true for everything. It, it's called, it's basically Galatians it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow with the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow with the spirit, you reap life, eternal life. It's always true. So we're going to see this. So let's start. I'm, I'm going to go through it quickly, and we'll, we'll try to make some applications. The first prayer request that he makes is basically verses 31 and 32, and he says, judge among people. He's basically saying, if a man sins against his neighbor, please deal with this and take care of it. Look at verse 31. If a man sins against his neighbor and he's made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before your altar in this house, he comes to the temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants. Condemn the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justify the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So he basically says, when somebody sins, and what they would do, if somebody did somebody wrong or somebody said, you did me wrong, they had to come before the priest and the priest would come out and he'd say, you're gonna take an oath. Did you do this or not? And what they're asking is, God, when people come and there's issues, judge what is right and do what is right. And let me just remind you of something. Nobody, nobody gets away with sin. He, he said, oh Lord, hear and act and judge. 
And it is a great truth that God is going to take care of it. And listen to this. People do not get away with sin. Sin will find you out. And what he's really saying is this. God, deal with the person who does wrong. Now, we brought this out in our grow group and stuff. We talked about it in the first service. And that is this. What if somebody does you wrong? How do we deal with that? We do not get them back. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. In fact, the Bible actually says when somebody does you wrong, forgive them, which means release the debt, let it go, and then go on with your life. You could say, but if I forgive them and let it go, they get away with hurting me. No, they don't. They never get away. God brings vengeance. God handles it all. He knows what's going on. And that's really what this prayer is. Oh, Lord, when two people have a problem, if a man sins against his neighbor and they take the oath, God, you hear, you judge, you take care of it. And the truth is that God will take care of it. And so our application would be this. When somebody does us wrong, take it to God, leave it with him. He will right all wrongs. Just remember this. People do not get away with sin. And when somebody hurts you, they're not going to get away with it. You may think they do because you don't get them back. And sometimes you don't even see it. And you say, that guy just got away with it. Nobody ever gets away with it. God judges. So Solomon says, Lord, when two people have a conflict and one does wrong, justify the righteous and condemn the unrighteous. Deal with them. So that's his first prayer request. And we can do when, when something happens like this, to us, take it to God, leave it with him. He will right all wrongs, okay? That's the first prayer request. Here's the second one. If they go to battle and they lose because they've got sin in their lives as a nation, when Israel confesses it, he wants God to restore. Look at verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn to you again and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then here in heaven... And forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to the fathers. So he starts off and says, listen, if, you, if we have sin and we go into the battle and we lose, may we confess it and bring us back. Listen, it happened. Do you remember when they went to Jericho? The nation of Israel went to Jericho. They were in fellowship with God. They were doing everything right. God said, march around the city, shout real loud. Walls fell down. They had a great victory because God was with them. Right after that, they had sin in the camp. They went to fight a little town called Ai, and they got defeated. And because they had sin in the camp. And so Solomon is praying and says, if there's a battle going on, if we go to war, if your people are defeated by an enemy, because we've sinned, may we confess our sin and take us back. And so what he really, and that's based on Leviticus as well. He said, when we sin, discipline us and bring us back. What is our application? When we sin, what will God sometimes do? He brings discipline on us. What are we supposed to do? We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He hears and he cleanses and restores. So the best application we can make from this is when we sin, what's the first thing we ought to do? The moment we know we've sinned, the moment we realize we've sinned, we confess our sin. That means to tell on yourself. We've been doing a whole section in the grow group time on dealing with sin and confession of sin. That's what we've been talking about. So we all know that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we do. So the second aspect of this prayer is when you sin, what should you do? You confess it. That means to tell on yourself. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, that's that principle 
and, and, uh, and our application is, is that. First um, John 1.9, we know that. Now, here's the third one. Get ready for this one. This is, when we've sinned and you've brought no rain, we need to, they need to confess it. Notice, um, <clears throat> look at verse 35. When the heavens are shut up because there's no rain, because they've sinned against you, and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way. Now watch carefully. Teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given your people for an inheritance. So he says this. If there's no rain because we've sinned and we turn to you, we confess it, it, because there's no rain, because we've sinned. He said, as a nation, if we've turned away from you and you've not allowed it to rain, may we turn back to you, may we confess our sin. And then he says something else. He says more than confessing. He says we want them to obey the word. He says, he says that, that you teach them the good way in which they should walk. And so it's more than just saying confess sin, it's deal with your sin and live righteously. Now, look at this. This is our application. When we sin, we confess it. Now, that was number two. But number three says you need to obey. And we know this, that sometimes in our lives we sin, we realize we sin, we confess that sin, but we still plan on doing that same sin again on purpose. We say, oh, I confessed it. He's faithful and just to forgive me. I'm okay. And if you get a chance, you're going to do that again? Probably. We shouldn't do that. What he actually says in his third prayer is that we should walk in the way which he has taught us. And that is when we sin, we confess our sin and we forsake our sin. Actually, there is one of the Psalms that says, he who, sin who sins, who confesses his sins and forsakes his sins will prosper. And so this third aspect, the third application is, not only when we sin should we confess it, but we should go on and try to grow and try to learn. And as he says here, that we would walk in the way in which we should walk. In fact, he says, walk, teach them the good way in which they should walk. So, so far we said that when somebody does us wrong, our prayer request would be, Lord, just we give it to you and take care of it. The second one is, if we sin, Confess it and get back in fellowship. The third one, if we sin, confess it. But the goal is to go on to maturity. The goal is to obey. The goal is to live right. And so it's more than just confessing. It's confessing and obeying. Well, let's look at the fourth request, and that's help in affliction. Well, what do we mean? Well, look at this. Verses 30, 37 through 40, if there's fame and pest, uh, famine and pestilence and plague, look at verse 37. It says, if there's a famine in the land, if there's pestilence, if there's a blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, if the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, then whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, spreading his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each one according to his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to their fathers. Now he says this, sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes there's famine and pestilence and plagues and sickness, and sometimes these have nothing to do with sin. 
that we go through life and somebody gets really sick and, and sometimes people say, I wonder what they did wrong. Listen, nothing. Sometimes we get sick. We're living in a fallen world and sometimes sickness and problems and things just happen. So what should we do? He basically says when this happens, we should deal with it. We confess it and say, oh Lord, help me, help me get through this. Sometimes these things are because of sin. In fact, that's why he says uh, uh, that dwell, forgive them. In fact, he says, you know their hearts. And so the truth is this, and let me put this, this uh, uh, God knows the attitude. He knows every aspect about it. And so aff- affliction causes us to turn to God. You've known p- the people in your life that have been going along, maybe living unrighteously, and then some things happen to them. And it's for the first time they, they turn to God. They say, I, I need to turn to God. I- I'll just tell you, honest, and I'm not going to tell you what happened, but when I was coaching at Mississippi State, uh, I'm, now, I'm a believer. I was, I was coaching at Mississippi State, but I was doing some things that were not right. And God brought some affliction in my life. And it caused me to turn back to him and to say, Lord, I, I want my life to count for you. I want to live for you. That's what that changed me. And he's saying here, sometimes, Lord, if there's pestilence, if there's affliction, if there's sickness, and, and, and then each person, whether it's an individual or the nation, comes to you, hear them, forgive them, take care of them, and he says, you know their hearts. And so let me put this up. In times of affliction or sickness, go to God. He knows your heart. Let me tell you, he knows whether things are happening to us because we got sin in our life and he's disciplined us. He also knows when things happen to us just because we live in a fallen world and sometimes things go wrong and it has nothing to do with sin. It's just the fact that we're fallen people in a fallen world. And so what should we do? We should go to God and say, help me, Lord. We all know there are people in our lives and maybe your own self, you're going through some trials, you're going through some sickness, you're going through some issues. Take it to the Lord and say, Lord, just as Solomon prayed for his people that when afflictions came, they would come to you, we could say the same thing. When afflictions come to us, we come to, we come to God. He's the answer. In fact, he's the, the way, the truth, and the life. He's our strength and our shield. He's everything. So we hear that. Now, here's number five, and this one is really for us. Watch this. He actually says, hear all people. When the foreigners come, look at verse 41. Look, he says, also the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake. He says, there's going to be Gentiles coming here. Notice verse 42. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arms. When he comes and prays toward this house, when a non-Jew comes, that's what they're saying, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you in order that all the people of the earth may know your name to fear you and do as your people Israel and that they all may know that this is the house which I have built is called by your name. He says, listen, there are going to be times that the Gentiles are going to hear about the God of Israel. And it was true. And they would come and they would ask questions and they would come and they would pray to the God of Israel. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they became believers. It means they came and he's saying, oh Lord, when unbelievers come or when Gentiles come and they're seeking you, answer their prayers, be there for them. And we see it all the way through Scripture. We see that. Listen, I, I remember uh, uh, kind of a famous evangelist several years ago, well, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, and he said this, that God never hears the prayer of an unbeliever. That's not true. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius, and he's a Roman soldier. 
And he's prayed to God and he's given money. He's done everything. He's not a believer, but he prays to God. And one day an angel came to him and said, Cornelius, your prayers have gone up to God and he's hearing your prayers. So send and get this guy named Peter and he's going to come to you and tell you how you can have eternal life. Cornelius was not a believer, but his prayers went up. And so even in this passage, he's saying, if non-Jewish people came to the temple and prayed to God, he says, God, hear their prayers. And what we really want, and as we look at this, we want, we must, we want all people to know the truth about salvation, Jew or Gentile. We, God hears prayers, and we want to take the message so that all people can know. And so may we take that message. And that, that's really, that's, the, that's one of the key things, is there are many people out there, and we're going to talk in just a minute about Jews and Gentiles and how this fits together, because this is the bottom line here. He says, even if non-Jewish people come to the temple and pray, would you answer their prayers? And then we got another prayer, and we're getting close to the end. We're going fast. That what if they go to battle? He says, give us victory in battle. And look at verse 44. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you send them, uh, whatever way you send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen, and the house which I built for your name, hear, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Maintain their cause means give them the victory. He says, when we go out to battle, give the victory for Israel. That's what he says. Pray, and we, we, let, let me come back over here. I, I want you to understand something. This is, the, Israel is God's chosen people, and he's saying, pray, lift it up, give it to them. Uh, be anxious for nothing. And for us, we, we do the same thing. We pray for victory. Pray that God will help us as we seek to live for him. Listen, we gather on a Sunday morning, and it's, it's fun, and it's safe. You know, best we know, everybody in this room has believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And we say, hey, we're all Christians. We love each other. We're all here. We're going to sing. We're going to do everything. And then guess what happens? We end, and you have to go back out in the fallen world. You have to scatter to jobs and places and neighborhoods and everything else, and you go into a fallen world. And what we want to pray is that you will have victory in the Christian life. And the only way we can have victory in the Christian life is walk in the Spirit, obey the Scripture. And so we say to God, God, as I go out these doors, take my life. Use me for your glory. May I have victory. May I live for you. May I live in your power. And I want to have victory in the Christian life. And that's what we want. And that's, that's really the plan. And that's what, what he's saying. And he wants to see happen then. And so it's, it's really, really, really good. Now, there's one final thing, and then I've got uh, just several little things to talk about. But this one final thing is the final prayer. And it would be hard, it'd be hard for us to make application because he's basically saying, when we sin and we go into captivity, that's what he says, bring us back. So look at this. He says, restore us from captivity. Here's the problem. Look at verse 46. When they sin against you, for there's no man that does not sin, and you're angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. And if they take thought in the land where they've been taken captive, and they repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken captive, saying, we've sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've added, acted wickedly, if they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of the enemies who have taken them captive, and they pray toward this land which you have given to them, to the city, to the fathers, and the house that I built, hear their prayer and answer their prayer. He says, so, Lord, when we, when we go, when we pray, and, and he's saying, we're going to be delivered. And by the way, did this happen? It sure did. 
The nation of Israel divided right after Solomon dies, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom totally rejected God, and God allowed the Assyrians to come in in 722 and take them off. The southern kingdom didn't totally reject God, but over the time period, they turned away from God, and God allowed the Babylonians to come in in 605 B.C. and take them away. And you know what they did when they were in captivity? They prayed. They prayed to come back, and after 70 years, God brought them back. And if you remember the story of Daniel, and Daniel opened his windows, and he prayed toward the temple, which was destroyed. He prayed where the temple used to be, and what he prayed was, deliver your people from captivity. That's what he prays. And he goes on and says, here's the results. He says, admit it, return to you, pray. And then here's the results that he hear, they hear the prayer. God always hears the prayer and he shows compassion. 49 and 50 says, hear the prayer. And verse 50 says, hear uh, for your people have sinned and show them compassion. And maybe even their captives will show them compassion. And then he says this, why should he do that? Because they're God's people. Verse 51 for they are your people and your inheritance which you brought from Egypt, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant. And then he ends up by saying, for you have separated them from all the people of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke to Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now I want to remind you of something, and I'm going to do it really quickly, but there's a lot of people who are confused. Deuteronomy 9.29 says, they're your people, your inheritance, that's God's people. You brought them out by great power and outstretched arm. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are God's chosen people. We're not talking about chosen for salvation. We're chosen for service. Each individual Jewish person must believe in the Messiah, just like each individual Gentile person must believe in the Messiah. But the nation of Israel is God's people. Some people think because the nation of Israel rejected Jesus when he died on the cross that God is through with his people and he's thrown them out and he's never going to use them again and he's using the church. That's called replacement theology. That's not accurate. Romans 9, 10, and 11 says, has God cast away his people? No. God still has his Jewish people, and there's going to come a day he's going to bring them back, and he's going to use them in the way that he chooses to use them. And so that's a great, a great truth uh, about this whole idea. And let me remind you that why did he get, give us the Jewish people? Through the Jewish people came two key things. One, the written word of God. The Jewish people wrote down the Bible. Second, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, our Savior and Messiah is Jewish, and he came from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David all the way down to be the Messiah and the Savior. So the Jewish people gave us the Word of God, and they gave us the Messiah who is our Savior. And so they are God's chosen people, and he, they're always going to be his people, chosen not for salvation but for service, and so each individual must believe. But I just wanted you to see that. So he's praying, and our application for this is by faith in Christ. We, we belong to him, to him. He's our heavenly father as well. We're not Jews. We're not God's chosen people, but we are the church, which is the body of Christ. And when we sin as God's children, we can pray. He will hear and forgive us, and so we come to him anytime any place, anywhere. So just remember, in this world, there is the nation of Israel and they're the church. They're two different things. God has two different plans how he's using them. One of these days, we're going to take us away from here called the rapture. 
And then he's going to go back and take his people. So we'll see all that. Let me throw the seven requests up for you real quickly, just because of time. He says, first of all, judge among men. In other words, we would say, deal with those that hurt us. When you sin, confess it and go on. This one, the third one says, when you sin, confess it and then obey. The fourth one says, when there's affliction, just pray that God will help you in that. The fifth one is basically, any foreigner comes to God, anyone who's not a Jew, that he would hear their prayers. And then number six, when you go to battle, give us the victory. And then number seven, in the captivity, they'll bring the nation back because he hears the prayers of his people. There's so much in this passage, and we just touched on it, and I went as fast as I could. And so we see that this is the dedication, and next time we'll finish the whole thing. Let me give you a quick application, okay, and we'll go fast. Let's lift up our prayers and petition to God, and here's what I did. I tried to put it together. When someone does us wrong, what do we do? Take it to God. Number two, when we sin, confess it and obey. That puts two of those together, two and three together. Sin, confess, and obey. In times of affliction or sickness, go to God. He knows what's going on, and he knows your heart. Let us take the message of Jesus Christ so all can know God. That means God's message is for all people, not just for Jewish people, not just for the people who had the temple. It's for everyone. And then let us pray for victory in the Christian life as we seek to make an impact for our Savior, Jesus Christ.